I did it again, didn't I? I did it again. Oh, that was a good intro. All right, we're going back. We're going back. Rewind. Let's do it. Proper intro. Kitty playing guitar, jamming good with sync and destiny, and the spiders from Mars. She could play it left hand, but made it too far. Became the special ma'am. Then we were Ziggy's. Ah, good grief. Good grief. I hit the lyrics when I did it the first time, I swear. I had a, I had a kitty change. I had a change to the mutants from Mars. Then I did it live and I got it all wrong. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to Comic Herald Live. I'm the abusing founder and editor-in-chief of comicbookherald.com. One of these years, I will figure out how to do a live stream properly. <laughs> One of these years. Echo5 says $5 to the mute jar. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Listen, I don't even put ads on these live streams anymore. I will go into debt so fast <laughs> if I am taxed for technical mistakes. I promise you that. How was the Bowie, though? How was the Bowie? We'll come back to that. Because Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust has too much word overlap with the Rise of the Powers of X and the Fall of the House of X. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for joining. Those of you jumping in live, really appreciate you being here today. Jumping in the comments. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Listen, I think last week I was hopefully appropriately excited about what Karen Gillan's been doing across X-Men, trying to celebrate that. This was a fantastic week of comics. Like, this was like... Like this, I mean, we're talking, I mean, one of the best in, in years, frankly. We got Ultimate Spider-Man number one. We got Rise of the Powers of X number one. We got Transformers going strong. We got Victor Laval joining to, to bring home the Sabretooth Wolverine finale. This was a nice week of comics. But, oh, man, Ultimate Spider-Man launching the Ultimate Universe. We got Hickman and Chiquetto on that one. Rise of the Powers of Ten. Those are the two books. We are definitely going to spend the most time on. Definitely going to spend the most time on. If you have not read those comics, get thee to a comic shop. Get thee to a comic shop soonly because we are going to talk about them and some spoilers may follow, okay? So if you're following along live, spoilers may follow. Um, I will try to warn you. I don't, I don't know that there's that much. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man didn't feel especially spoilerable to me. It didn't, but the reaction indicated that folks were not ready <laughs> for what was coming, um, which is, I guess, good. I guess it's good because the Ultimate Invasion and an Ultimate Universe number one, the road to Ultimate Spider-Man definitely set the stage for like, okay, yeah, like we know this is going to be a Peter Parker in, you know, his, his what, midlife, right? Is it, is it midlife? Am I in my midlife at 35? Is this a midlife crisis? It feels like it. But if I ask my dad, who's in his 60s, he's like, I'm not midlife yet. <laughs> so so I guess it depends on your perspective. But Peter's, you know, he's middle-aged with kids and, and a wife, MJ. And, like, we knew he was going to be a Peter without spider powers, but who has recently been informed that spider powers were in his destiny, right? And we knew there'd be some changes. There's one big surprise in this issue that I actually... Did not see coming when it happened. I had kind of joked about it previously. 
Um, but I didn't, I didn't actually see it coming. Okay. So we're going to talk about ultimate Spider-Man in detail. We're going to talk about the launch of the ultimate universe. We're going to talk about rise of the powers of X. Listen, I'm just going to throw it out here right up front. I'm going to throw it out here right up front. I've enjoyed Kieran Gillen's Marvel work since 2021 more than Jonathan Hickman's. I have, I really have. We got Gillen Eternals, best Eternals run of all time. Shout out to Jack Kirby. We got Immortal X-Men, which is a better singular run than Hickman's X-Men. Hox Pox excluded. I said 2021. If we run it back to 2019, we got to include Hox Pox. And now why are we doing this, right? Why am I doing this anyway? There's there's no competition here. They seem, <laughs> they seem like they get along great. I'm just saying... Gillen is a is at a higher level than Hickman. Nobody talks about it like that. Nobody talks about it like that. Okay. Um, Rise of the Powers of Ten, I thought delivered in many ways. I saw some fans who were concerned or or uh we'll talk about it. We're gonna talk about it, okay? We got time, we got plenty of time. Here's a thought starter right up front for y'all, live in the comments. I a fun game, just a fun little game for us to play while we talk here. Comics writers and artists, Marvel specific, who've had the most success across the widest variety of Marvel properties. Who you got? Who you got? And I started thinking about this because Jonathan Hickman writing now Ultimate Spider-Man number one means that this individual has written Avengers, X-Men, Fantastic Four, now Spider-Man, and like a pretty good shield, right? If we if we lump in the actual shield series, but also Secret Warriors with all the Nick Fury stuff in there, that's like five, like five categories, like five properties that Hickman has kind of owned and succeeded at and done really well at. And that's the thing, is when I say success, obviously that's nebulous, but like I'm talking critical acclaim, I'm talking influence across the line. I'm talking things the MCU might pull from because they're really flipping good. You know, it's broad, it's nebulous, but it, you know, you know it when you see it. You know it when you see it. The other names that instantly come to mind. The other names that instantly come to mind. And listen, the award is named after Jack Kirby and Stanley. Okay? Like they they almost have to be thrown out having created the entire universe because one phrase that I cannot get out of my head and I wish I could I, I wish I hadn't thought of it. I wish the brain didn't connect these dots so thoroughly is, you know, kind of everything that happens with Marvel characters now is reheated leftovers, <laughs> right? Like once I see it, I can't unsee it. Everything is reheated leftovers, generally, right? We're taking what Stan, Jack, and Steve did and we're reheating it and we're trying to put the most interesting combinations of, of frozen veggies and seasoning, and, and things that can invert the formula a little bit, but we're reheating the leftovers. This is my most obnoxious thing I'm going to say today. I promise. I promise you. Most obnoxious thing I'm going to say today is this. It's just a truth. It's just a truth. So the award has to be named after Stan and Jack. Uh, what do we call it? We call it the Lombar, Lombarda Trophy um, or the Stan Lee Cup, okay? So for Jack, it's the Lombarda Trophy, Big Barda, uh, for... for Stan, it's obviously the Stan Lee Cup, <laughs> okay? Those are the trophies that are in play here. Hickman is in play, is in play, definitely, as a leader. Bendis, you got to throw in there. Daredevil, 
Jessica Jones, having created and then had an influence. Avengers, Spider-Man, X-Men? Eh? Maybe? Moon Knight? Uh, less so? Okay. The 2010s are where it gets really difficult for Bendis. The 2010s are where it gets tough because rough 2010s. Like, I'm not giving him Guardians. Even though he wrote a long Guardians run, I am not giving Bendis success on Guardians. That, those comics are bad. <laughs> like, they're really, really rough. Okay? But Bendis has to be in the conversation, I think. Just for comics writers and artists who just have had, like, the most inf- maybe influence is a better word than success. Influence across the widest variety of properties. Off the top of my head, the other names that came to mind were Roy Thomas, Chris Claremont. Because although many will say, well, that's just X-Men, actually before X-Men like takes off, it's Captain Marvel, it's Spider-Woman, it's Iron Fist. It's a lot of like properties that folks just weren't touching. Little little Doctor Strange in there in the mix. I don't know if that counts or not. You got Mark Grunewald. You got Jam DeMatties as maybe a dark horse who's going to like run the table here. Mark Wade in the conversation. Jason Aaron, you got to throw in the mix. Does Matt Fraction get there? Hawkeye, Thor. Are we giving him X-Men? Let's be generous. Let's give him X-Men. What else do we got? Iron Man. There's four. It's not bad. Brubaker. Ah, I don't know. Love Ed Brubaker. Vernon Compa Carroll, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> How could he not be? <laughs> Shouts to Brubaker and Phillips for getting criminal greenlit over at Amazon. It's criminal that it took this long. <laughs> Got him. Looking forward to that series. That should be a good time. I hope it gets more than one season. Most comics creators that have even a modicum of success, seem to get one season of their work adapted. It doesn't feel like enough. Rick Reminder, Deadly Class. Brian K. Vaughn, Paper Girls. Brian K. Vaughn, again, Why the Last Man. Who else? Mark Miller. Old Man Miller. Even with his Netflix deal on Jupiter's Legacy. And we'll see what else. Uh, Gene Luen Yang, recently. American-born Chinese. Tough to keep the thing going. Tough to get it off the ground. Ask Jeff Smith and Bone. Right? But tough to keep the thing going. You know, the, the only creators that seem to have that juice right now are Robert Kirkman, who's just like, like lights out above everyone on getting comics adapted and keeping them on TV. And then you got Ennis. I, ne- I never get the sense that Ennis is that involved, but I don't know. Maybe he is. But, like, they took the boys, and obviously that's running. Pretty sure did fine, actually. Um, who else? Who else is successful at this? Lemire has a thing going, maybe. You know, Sweet Tooth technically has been going for a minute. Uh, Gaiman with Sandman probably can keep it going, right? So you have, you have some successes, but a lot of one-and-dones. A lot of one-and-dones. How do we get started on that? I don't even know. Honestly, couldn't say. Oh, Brubaker. Karen Gillen enters the chat. For this contest of influence across Marvel. And then Al Ewing, honestly, is is almost unfair because it's like he just he's touched every property. So you have to really, for the Ewing case, you have to really hone in on what is it we mean by influence and success. 
Uh, let's see. Joshua Link here says in the chat, David Paposi, comics writer, good storyteller in and of themselves, is calling this the Marvel EGOT. So is that is that in reference to Hickman doing the biggest franchises? Right? So like the EGOT in Marvel is Avengers, X-Men, Spider-Man, Fantastic Four. Surely we can do better than EGOT. Right? Surely. Um, they fax with Marvel. We we fax with them. That's four Avengers, X-Men, Spider-Man. I fax with Hickman. Is that how we're going to say this? <laughs> yeah, I, that is unique. Let's see. If you do those four specific properties, then that rules out Bendis because he never did Fantastic Four. Well, that's not true. He did Ultimate Fantastic Four, didn't he? For a hot minute. Not long enough, though, I wouldn't say. Um, honestly, even Kirby barely gets it then because of Spider-Man. Then you really just have Stanley the Manly and Hickman. Probably somebody else. Art Roy Thomas never did Spider-Man. That's interesting. If you make it just those four. That's interesting. What about the Maddies? I don't know that the Maddies ever did... He never got, like, the big stuff, like Avengers, X-Men, Fantastic Four. He has really good Spider-Man. Interesting, interesting criteria that you've thrown in here. I like it. I like it. So if we do the who do you fax with at Marvel, the contenders are Stan Lee and Jonathan Hickman. That's a pretty exclusive club. That is a pretty exclusive club. I bet, I bet there are some others that you all could throw in that mix. Um, but, yeah. It's good. All right. We're going to talk about these comics. I promise. I just thought that was kind of a fun game to think about. Just like historically. Like it's it's not usual that you get top cream of the crop creators doing all of the best Marvel books. It just doesn't happen a lot. You know, and I, I the Bendis point is like obviously that kind of soured throughout the 2010s. It was good when it, it was really good when it was good, you know, and it kind of soured. But it is like you know, he got to write a whole bunch of things, but technically he didn't hit all four of these, <clears throat> you know, um, just because of Fantastic Four, I think, I think is the one that holds him back. All right, let's do it. Let's see. What are, what are we saying in the chat here before we move on? St. David Michelini is a dark horse. Jason Aaron on X-Men would either be genius or totally bonkers, says Christoph. Jason Aaron was on X-Men. Wolverine in the X-Men. Pretty good run. I would actually give that to Aaron. I would say Aaron has Thor, X-Men. I'm not giving him Avengers. That run was a bust. Ghost Rider, Wolverine, X-Men. Um, anything I'm missing? Punisher, right? You, you can give you can get Aaron a decent sized list, but not, not cream of the crop, not top stuff. All right, what else? Let's see. Vasco says Hickman has to write Daredevil next. Seems like he kind of is <laughs> for the pages of Ultimate Spider-Man. I mean, he's taken Matt Murdock. He's got Kingpin. We've got Daredevil universe here in this in the Ultimate Universe relaunched, right? What else do we got here? Joseph asks, has Hickman ever written a DC book? I do not think so. I do not think so. Um... I would imagine, like, in the early days, he did not have a DC ex or a Marvel exclusive contract. But to my knowledge, has never done even, like, a, a spinoff or, like, a mini thing at DC. I mean, that's... The, going into X-Men, that was, like, the big fan 
you know, conspiracy theory or hope was like Hickman's Legion of Superheroes or New Gods. And I think Hickman has said in interviews that like those were those were two books on the table inst- until he got whatever Godfather offer he got from Marvel. And in theory, that would have been fun, but I doubt it would have been as good or exciting as Hoxbox. Um, I'm still here for it. <laughs> I will I will still be available to purchase those comics if and when they come out. All right. Christoph asks, who is Marvel's lamest character slash team, and would Hickman be able to make a hit out of it? All right, this is the last question I'm going to answer before we get into the comics. Uh, the lamest character slash team is Alpha Flight, uh, and no, Jonathan Hickman would not be able to make a hit out of Alpha Flight. Uh, he would, he would, first off, have the good sense not to take on that project, but second off, he would fail horribly, horribly. It would be in the end of his career, a career-ending decision. Uh, he would never write a comic again after Alpha Flight. That's how bad it is and how badly it would damage him. Thanks for asking that question. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some comics. Let's talk about Ultimate Spider-Man first. Can I, can I just say something up front here? We should not have teased Jonathan about his charts. <laughs> we, we, as a community, as a fandom, we tease Jonathan too many times about his charts. I miss them. I do. I miss data pages. Sorry. I know some people like to rag on them. I know some people feel like it got out of hand in X-Men. It was a really nice addition to House and Powers. It was a really nice addition to the X-Men run. It's flipping great in Black Monday Murders. I would love to see them in Gods, especially. And like a little bit here in Ultimate Spider-Man. I'm not that I'm not as bothered about it in Ultimate Spider-Man. Okay? But I miss data pages. <laughs> like, like it was a nice inventive use, a nice change of pace. You know? It's like, you know, it's like, okay, you're Greg Maddox. You can throw 95 on the edges. The change up is nice. It's a it's a nice pitch to have in your au revoir. Okay? We shouldn't have done it. I'd like to be the first to say, Jonathan, I apologize. I'm sorry we hurt your feelings about the charts. Please bring them back. Please. I'm, I'm Earnestly. I would love to see them again. <laughs> okay? But probably more importantly for everyone here on the call, Ultimate Spider-Man number one delivers. It just delivers. It doesn't overreach. It doesn't swing for the fences too hard. It just 100% delivers. Hickman and Marco Cicchetto brought a fantastic issue number one into kicking off the ultimate universe in earnest. It reminds me a lot of, I mean, yes, like the Bendis Bagley kickoff, right? Just in terms of like, oh, we are in confident, comfortable hands as to how to handle Spider-Man in this day and age, right? Like it reminds me of that in that sense, but more so it reminds me of PS4 Spider-Man and the launch of the video game franchise where it would it's just that level of like, just a sigh of relief as you realize, oh, the creative hands that we are in seem to really enjoy Spider-Man. They are reheating these elements, yes, but they are remixing them in a fashion that is is interesting, that is engaging, and that I have not specifically spent a lot of time with before, right? And it is just comfortable. <laughs> it is just, as a Spider-Man fan, it is so enjoyable 
to see creators at the peak of their powers. Hickman, Chiquetto. Is Matt Wilson coloring this? Apologies if I got the colors wrong there. Um, But just like a great looking comic that just knows where it's going, knows what it wants to do, knows the twist, knows where to put them, and how to develop a new look at Peter Parker Spider-Man. I think all of, I think both PS4 Spider-Man and Ultimate Spider-Man number one fall short of like Into the Spider-Verse, which for my money is the best sort of, well, we could actually just do something new interpretation of the Spider-Man mythos. You know, when I say reheating, it sounds um, insulting. It doesn't have to be. But like, to me, it's not, we're not really cooking with particularly new ingredients here. You know, it's all a bit what ify, right? What if Aunt May died? What if J. Jonah Jameson and Peter Parker didn't hate each other, right? It's a bit what ify, okay? Which is the nature of the Ultimate Universe. It's not even really a complaint. It's not even really a complaint. Um, but it is, there's, there's something about Into the Spider-Verse that to me feels fresher because Miles is newer, probably because of the medium as well in the way that the story is delivered, okay? But 100% delivery on Ultimate Spider-Man number one. Like, this is a great number one issue. It does not do the big House of X number two, flip the table over, we're doing, we're swinging for the fences move, right? And I don't know what that move would be. I think as the arc continues, it's going to have to be here. It's, you know, um, or or I'm going to want it to be here as a fan a long time span of, of, of Spider-Man who's read too many superhero comics, okay? I'm going to want that to be here in the first six issues. Did it need to be here in the first issue? No, it's probably smart not to put it there. It's probably pretty smart not to. Um, and I think too, like, listen, I've said this going into this issue. All my Marvel chips this year are on the Ultimate Universe relaunch, right? There are two things I'm excited about in Marvel this year. One is Gillen ending the X-Men saga, the Krakoa saga. Yes, I said Gillen. We throw Ewing in there, Resurrection of Mags. We'll give him a chance too. Okay, that's an ending. It's going to take like half a year, but that's an ending. And then all the rest of my chips are on the Ultimate Universe relaunch. And the thing too that I have, I have to keep saying this because otherwise I will sink into that obnoxious, cynical side of myself <laughs> is to say this is the honeymoon period. This is the honeymoon period. Early days, we're launching the Ultimate Universe we can just enjoy this. We can just enjoy a nice Spider-Man comic, okay? Does it have to be revolutionary? Uh, you know, no. Like, is it doing things that Spidey comics haven't traditionally done? Yes, let's enjoy that. Let's celebrate that. Now, I think the celebration can get a bit overextended, right? I've definitely seen, like, praise of Ultimate Spider-Man like it is a genuinely groundbreaking thing. It's not, you know, so I think we need to guard against that in terms of like, like Alan Moore did this in Miracle Man as the great critic British, one of my favorite writers over on CBH and now just doing their own thing, um, said today on Twitter I saw was like, Miracle Man did this like 40 years ago, <laughs> right? Like conceptually, we are rebaking early British invasion stuff. Let's not pretend revolution is occurring. At the same time, let's enjoy Spider-Man comics being the most exciting they've been 
in a decade. <laughs> you know, I can enjoy that. I can get on board with that. I think Ultimate Invasion and the Ultimate Universe Road 2 were so needlessly convoluted. They were reaching backwards as much as they were reaching forward. But when you get to the end of it, it's kind of amazing how successfully, like the end game was worth it, right? Like the end game of, okay, what is this Ultimate Universe? How do we relaunch an Ultimate Universe in 2024? What should that look like? And the answer that Hickman comes up with here is it's a universe where all the people who should have had superpowers who, or who fell by them via accidents didn't get them. And now they're going to get them at later stages in life, potentially, with a different kind of world, and they're going to have to decide. You know, in the case of Peter Parker here, has to decide even – do I even want that? <laughs> right? Forget the actual, like, plot mechanics of Spoiler Follows. Tony Stark reported kid terrorist who killed your aunt showing up in your house via hologram and telling you, here are the powers you were always meant to have, Peter. Which, I gotta say, mildly tough pill to swallow. Like mildly, like, like imagine if Morpheus in the Matrix had been like, Keanu, I killed your mom. Do you want to take this pill in my hand? <laughs> right? Like that's effectively what's happening here with Peter. But nonetheless, the question is interesting. The question is interesting, which is at this stage in your life, you're married and you have kids. Do you want these powers? Do you feel like you need this? Do you need this change? Listen, as I said at the top of this, as a 35-year-old with kids and a wife who's read too many superhero comics and is perfectly successful but stuck in, you know, just a nothing job, yeah, it resonates. <laughs> like, yeah, this is the question of adulthood, I think, for a lot of us. And putting Peter Parker in those shoes, doing it with Spider-Man, knowing that that is the audience of people who mostly read Spider-Man comics at this point, you know, it's pretty smart. It's pretty damn smart. It is. I enjoy this comic. It delivers, I think, on pretty much every level. Um, I'm so excited for more. I was very excited. And it is, too. It's that thing of, like, you know, and I've, I've had this, and you all have seen this on the live streams, like with Gods, for example. It's like, I'm a huge fan of Hickman's catalog, but when you come into something and it doesn't hit, it's really disappointing, right? Because you're hoping for the best. You're hoping for a championship. You know, the expectations, the bar is not passable. So it's really nice to walk into a thing when your expectations are way too damn high and for them to still be met. Like, that is the ultimate challenge, you know? Like, that. that is an, it is a challenging, difficult bar, and then you have creators in Hickman like Chiquetto who can still hit it. Okay, so let's talk about the reveals or the twists, I suppose, of Ultimate Spider-Man number one. Um, the biggest one by far, spoilers, is we, we come to the Daily Bugle. Old man Pete works there. Jay Jonah comes screaming, Parker. As soon as Pete walks into the office, except it's not for Pete, <clears throat> it's for his Uncle Ben. 
Uncle Ben works as a managing editor of the Daily Bugle, works hand-in-hand with J. Jonah Jameson. They're buds. J. Jonah Jameson is, like, incredibly friendly and sweet with Peter Parker. That's new. (laughs) Right? But most importantly, for, like, what this comic is going to be, we have Ben Parker alive and well. And then the, the, you know, the invert, the twist on the twist there, is that May just died. Is that May's dead now. We don't have Aunt May. But like recently, per the terrorist attack, as it is reported, right, that was actually the shadowy cabal framing the Ultimates. This happened in the Ultimate Universe kickoff. That is all you need to know. I promise. If you're like, oh my gosh, I don't understand. Listen, a shadowy cabal framed our would-be Ultimates of killing a boatload of people in New York City. And, like, that's kind of the other, I don't know, it's a little weird. I haven't, like, fully processed it. But it's like Hickman kind of manufactured a superhero 9-11 to sort of echo the way the Ultimate Universe is fully post-9-11 Marvel comics. Um, I definitely prefer it at this point in my life being a made-up terrorist attack. Right? Like, I think all of these horrible events are better suited to have been made up. Um, But it's an interesting thing to me. I don't know how conscious a decision that is, right? Like, is that a really active, like, oh, well, the original Ultimate Universe had, was followed in the shadow of 9-11. We need to do something similar. You know, is is that part of the calculus? I don't know. But either way, you know, the story that most people know is Tony Stark, boy genius, son of Howard Stark, this world's Iron Man, committed just an absolute atrocity of New York City, which killed Aunt May, in addition to countless others. Um, So it's a, it's a really interesting framing. It is. You know, it sets up like a version of the Marvel Universe that is tremendously familiar, yet different, which is part of the excitement of the original Ultimate Universe. It's like, how are these characters going to come to life? Oh, Matt Murdock's a priest talking to all of New York City. Oh, uh, uh, Wilson Fisk is unraveling newspapers, <laughs> right? Harry Osborn, Norman Osborn died in the attack as well. We got no Norm, but we have Harry Osborn. We have a mysterious Green Goblin showing up. Could those things be related? <laughs> is it possible? It feels possible. It feels likely. Okay. But yeah, I mean, it's just interesting framing. I'm curious to see where it goes from here. My biggest worry with this is Hickman Chiquetto are very good at this. They are telling a very good Spider-Man story. And my biggest worry is, like, what's the over-under on, on how many issues we get here? I set the line on Twitter at 12 and a half. And that seemed to be a place that made people think. Do we get one full year of this creative team? Can we get more? Because this first issue is a multi-year run kind of issue, right? Like, it's a let's sit in and let's read Hickman's Spider-Man and, oh, damn, I'm excited to do that kind of issue. And I'm not, I'm not talking just like fill-in artists. This is Marvel Comics in 2024. We're going to have some fill-in artists. But I'm talking like primary creative team is Jonathan Hickman and Marco Cicchetto. How many issues do we go? How long do they actually ride this out? 
Because even though I have said repeatedly on this very show, Jonathan Higman will not write a lengthy ongoing Marvel comic again after what happened with X-Men. I still want that to happen. (laughs) So I am deluding myself, you know, hopefully into the possibility that it may happen. I'm deluding myself into hoping it may continue. I don't think it's super realistic to hope for much beyond 12, but listen, you know what? I will take 12. I will take 12 full year. I will take a full year of enjoying the hell out of Ultimate Spider-Man and be plenty happy with that. Okay, the other thing that I do just want to say here, a little PSA. Everyone, play it cool with how much we're enjoying the Ultimate Universe relaunch. Buy the comics. Keep those sales numbers reasonable so everything is sustained. But play it cool because if Marvel understands that this is the universe that everyone cares about, and these are the only comics that seem to be cooking, they are going to overload the line with releases. And the coolest thing about the Ultimate Universe right now is specific, is like treating it as, you know, a prestige line of your best creators working on a small amount of titles. This line should never eclipse like five comics. If it goes beyond that, we've failed. <laughs> we've lost. That's when you lose steam. Okay. Um, hang on. I just, I need to really quick in the chat here. Mammoth 101 says, I can't wait for ultimate alpha flight. Just need to ban someone from the chat. Let's see how we do that. Okay, great. Great. Cousin Marcus says here, two years. Then he, being Hickman, hands it off to Cates. I'm not opposed to that because it would mean two years of Hickman's fight. Like that seems very unlikely to me which would make it very exciting, I think. I think everyone in here is kind of like, can we get two years? You know? The Cubs fan in me is just like, can I get my one championship? I will take one. Thank you very much. And that's kind of the the very zen place I've gotten with X-Men comics, right? Is, you know, I can fuss and, and criticize and this and that and still be excited about Rise of Powers, about how the way things went. But it is like, I got the championship. I got House and Powers. That was my X-Men championship. I had it. It was awesome. It was like a one, maybe two times per decade kind of comics event. And I got to be fully on board, fully engaged for all of it. That was awesome. (laughs) I don't need more. I don't, actually. I haven't needed a Cubs World Series since 2016. Not really. Would it be nice? Yeah, of course. Would I be rooting for him? Yes, absolutely. But I had it. Game seven in Cleveland was the best World Series of all time. Not even a contest. I had it. I'm glad. I'm grateful. That in case would actually be a good fit after two years of Hickman on Ultimate Spider-Man. It would be interesting. All right. Getting your questions, getting your thoughts. We'll take a little sip here, and we're going to talk Rise of Powers with 10. 
Tyson Leonard says, personal theory. Despite the fact that we've seen a cover where Harry is the Green Goblin, I think it would be cool if JJJ and Ben are the Green Goblin. feel like there's a few things pointing to that. I joked when the Green Goblin costume was shown on an Ultimate Spider-Man cover months ago that it would be the Green Goblin. That is in play now. (laughs) I was a million percent joking. But that is now in play, that we could get the Green Goblin. Marvel was teasing in celebrating this comic, which they should be. It is a win that this is the biggest Spider-Man reveal of all time. It's not. (laughs) And, like, it's not especially close. But I kind of love that that PR-wise they're that excited about it, where they're like, Hickman brought back Uncle Ben. It's the biggest thing that ever happened. Like, it's not actually that big (laughs) a deal, right? It's not that revolutionary because we are in an ultimate universe where we already knew things had played out differently. It felt very in play that Uncle Ben could be there, right? But if you jumped into this book for the first time, just Ultimate Spider-Man, I feel like the experience, maybe some of you had this. I'd be curious to hear from you. The experience of just jumping straight into Ultimate Spider-Man, number one, and ignoring everything that came before would be a, a frankly, very exciting experience of reading a Spider-Man book where you're like, well, I don't actually, because I, you know, I knew Peter was going to be older and I knew Peter was going to be given his powers back by Tony or the opportunity to do so. I didn't know Uncle Ben would be there, but I knew it was in play, right? So I'm very curious, like, if you came to this fresh, did this feel, you know, a bit more shocking, a bit more surprising in terms of what the actual story is? Because it's not high school Peter, right? It's the, it's the you know, the farthest thing from it in a lot of ways, um, which is the, the former ultimate experience. So, yeah, Uncle Gaben is in play. If it's Harry, it's super obvious it's Harry. But if it's not, that would be a nice twist. I mean, I'm... I am of the mindset right now, if we're doing theories, I don't think Uncle Ben's going to make it past the sixth issue. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry, Ben. You finally have a comic where you're present. You are the sagest and and nicest man in this book. Your friendship with J. Jonah Jameson is incredibly sweet. I would love to have you around. I think the Hickman move is Peter loses Uncle Ben again because he became Spider-Man even though Aunt May's already gone. I do see that coming. Or I guess the invert of that would be, well, he doesn't lose him, but his Green Goblin in this universe is Uncle Goblin. You know? Um, Both of those things feel in play. But, like, listen, people are all like, oh, Peter's finally married, and he's married to MJ, and he has kids, and, you know, talking about this stuff, like, nothing bad is going to (laughs) happen. These are still Spider-Man comics. I'm sorry, did the did the Parker luck evaporate because these are in the Ultimate Universe? These are still Spider-Man comics. There's some interesting questions, too, to be answered. Like, okay, so things played out differently in Peter's life. He didn't have spider powers, but he still married MJ. Okay, like, that's interesting. But then, like, well, what happened with Gwen? Gwen shouldn't be dead, not by the hands of the Green Goblin, a la 616. So where's Gwen? Is this an interpretation where it's like, well, that relationship fizzled out and Peter and MJ were always destined to be married anyway? You know, just those those kind of what-if-y Spider-Man questions. I'm here for that. I'm interested in that. 
I'm also fascinated just by like, and I, I don't want to spend too much time on it now, but like, okay, Peach Pumoka's Ultimate X-Men. The maker, you know, prevented like 20 years of, of what? Like of mutants coming to fruition? So are all the mutants coming to fruition now going to be new? And it's only going to be like a young class? And what does that mean for like Wolverine or Professor X? And man, so many questions with Ultimate X-Men. It's going to be fascinating what that book even is. It's going to be super fascinating. Okay, let's see. We'll go through comments and then we'll talk Rise of Powers. Tyler says, I don't think two years is unreasonable. Seems Hickman has always wanted to do this book. I mean, that is the other thing with this where it's like you have, you have whether they, they, they must realize the profile of Hickman does Spider-Man, you know? Um, they must know that. So does that mean it's going to go longer? Maybe, especially if it's successful. Let's see. Jordan says, I don't believe you. You want more. We all do. Uh, what are you talking about, Jordan? <laughs> you want more what? Ultimate Universe Comics? Absolutely not. No. You don't. Trust me. The best thing that can happen for Marvel superhero comics is for them to reduce the amount of publication. You don't actually want 20 Ultimate Universe comics a month. You want three. And you want it to be spaced out and you want it to be treated as prestige. D like dumping a bunch of books into the line. It, it sounds exciting in theory. I get what you mean. Think about the MCU. It sounded like a cool idea post-Endgame to be like, all right, WandaVision, baby. Wanda and Vision, getting a story. We're going to do an Echo story down the road. We're going to do Ms. Marvel down the road. Agatha Harkness, come on down. Get your show. Everybody gets a show in this enterprise you all love. How did that work out? <laughs> right? How did that work out? Okay? You want these things tight. You do. They're better when they're tight. All right, what do we got? Got some questions about Rise. Ooh, we got a good question here from Trap God Thanos. Great flipping name. Dave, the real question is what should the Bears do with the number one pick? I don't know that I'm fully prepared to answer this question in the middle of my live stream about comics. <laughs> they should have fired their coach. <clears throat> they didn't do that. So we're already, we're already in the hole. I think they should draft an incredible quarterback with the number one pick. I think they should keep Justin Fields for a year or two. Let the number one pick learn under Fields, who's going to be like a solid QB somewhere. He is. I promise the sports talk won't go too long. I know some of you are throwing things at the wall. <laughs> Fields is going to be a QB for a team. Is he a Super Bowl winning quarterback? Not by himself. But if your defense is really good, the rest of the team around you is good, he is serviceable. But he's also a disappointment as like a superstar. So I want us to draft QB, but I kind of want us to keep Fields too. Am I having my cake and eating it too? I don't know. Shout out Bears, Bears Hive. Ultimate Bears comics, baby. Da Bears. Cousin Marcus says, Chicago Sports Herald. That is, that is actually the history of why Comic Book Herald is named what it is. Because in the Chicago suburbs, there is the Daily Herald, the newspaper that I grew up with, 
which is like the the third tier newspaper in the area, right? You have the Chicago Tribune is number one. Chicago Sun-Times is number two. And the Daily Herald was like, you know, like like the cute little stepbrother. <laughs> but that is in part where I got the name uh, Comic Book Herald, but, you know, as well as like the Silver Surfer being Herald and guiding people to, you know, comics that they want to read. Bears, baby. We're in great shape. We are. We're in great shape. Bulls are looking good. Zach Levine's back. He looks better than ever. Maybe that'll build up some trade value. Listen, it was a rough time to be a Chicago sports fan like three weeks ago. Now we're optimistic again. Same with comics. See how these things go? You just got to hang in there. You just got to hang in there. Trap Got Thanos says, can't wait for Everflows to say how many good practices they had next season. I'll tell you what, the Bears are going to practice the hell out of the ball. Bears, Bears are going to practice better than anybody in the damn NFL. Uh, are they winning any games with Everflows' coach? Eh, no more than seven or eight. No more than seven or eight. Ooh, nobody except me with a Devin Hester reference. Best moment of Bears football of the last, let's see, they won the Super Bowl in what, 85? 40 years? You believe that? The, the people still talk about the Bears Super Bowl like it happened within memory. I was not alive <laughs> when the Chicago Bears won their one Super Bowl. People pretend like we don't have a tortured franchise. Yeah, I guess that's not totally true. But you know what I'm saying. The best Chicago Bears moment of the last of my life was Devin Hester returning the kickoff for a touchdown of the Super Bowl against the Colts. And then we proceeded to lose the next, you know, 40 points. <laughs> All right. Let's do it, baby. Let's do it. Oh, Lethargos cuts me deep. Cuts me deep with some truth here. As someone born in Hyde Park, which for those of you not from Chicago or in the area, means an actual Chicagoan is what Lethargos is saying here. So I'm just going to translate for you. As someone actually from Chicago, I had never even heard of the Herald. You burbs guy, shake my head. That's fair. You're not wrong. You're also um, my enemy now. <laughs> and I'll never forget this. Timothy says, hey, remember X-Men comics? All right, let's do it. Rise of the Powers of Ten. This comic begins 10 years after the fall. This is Kieran Gillen's Days of Future Past, baby. Okay. Big thing I noticed right up front. Big thing. Who else noticed this? Kieran Gillen changed the language. Karen Gillen changed Jonathan Hickman's language. Nimrod says to Omega Sentinel, this is a quote, you were sent here by the trickster Dominion. So after the mutants won, the implication here in the Omega Sentinel timeline, a sinister Dominion sends Omega Sentinel back. I think we all remember in Hickman's Inferno, he referenced a trickster Titan. Does this matter? I mean, kinda, <laughs> kinda actually, yeah, because a Titan is not as powerful as a Dominion, okay? Was that just a red herring? Was that just Omega Sentinel language? Is it a faux pas on the part of Gillen and Hickman? Is it just a change? I don't know. I don't know yet, okay? But what I do know is that language is actually like, kind of meaningful <clears throat> it just is and uh and calling it a trickster titan versus a trickster dominion i mean it kind of changes things and one of the big things that's happening here in rise of the powers of 10 and has been happening in kieran gillen's x-men 
is everything is sinister. Now, we've been saying this for a long time. The best thing about Karen Gillan's original X-Men run is everything is sinister. But now, everything is really sinister. Is it too much? I need a sip from our sponsor. Y'all tell me, is everything too sinister right now? Let's hear it. I enjoyed this comic quite a bit. Let me say up front. Okay. But if you make it so that Omega Sentinel sent back in time to prevent a future where the mutants won, but you make it so that a Dominion Sinister, King Sinister, a.k.a. Enigma, which I don't like as a name because I just read Riddler Year One. We already have an Enigma in comics. Kind of need a new name. I kind of prefer King Sinister, honestly. Like it works for me better, you know? But anyway, making that Sinister sent Omega Sentinel back as a Dominion, it's kind of meaningful. And then you have in this comic, Omega, Nimrod, and Moira are trying to integrate with the Dominion a thousand years early because Omega Sentinel is, you know, is is from the future and has the technology. They don't know, though, that the Dominion is King Sinister. You know, they don't know that they're God. They're a machine God. And, and a lot of people still are like, what is a Dominion? What is this thing actually? Like, all we need to understand about what a Dominion is is that it is outside space and time, and it is the god of machines. I think that's like the easiest way to simplify a nebulous, potentially complex idea. Okay. Um, Folks here in the chat, nobody except me says, do we need to rehash all the sinister secrets again? Interesting. Bergtown says, Gillen loves sinister. Truth. Timothy says, show me the ending. I'm done with Sinister once this is through, but show me what you got. Bird nerd, too much Sinister. X-Men 97 is Sinister 2. See, now that I'm excited about. (laughs) That works for me. Uh, Christoph says, I understand if some fans have a Mr. Sinister overload, but it was time that Sinister's big plans were revealed and that they are really big. James says, not too much Sinister because it's all been interesting and makes sense. I am of the not-too-much-sinister camp, I think. Um, It all does make sense. I think the reveal in Immortal X-Men was awesome. You know, because we Gillen threw us off the sinister scent. I think it's one of the coolest tricks that Gillen played was he made us feel like, oh, okay, here's our sinister story. The build to Sins is sinister. The Red Diamond Mr. Sinister is going to have his thousand-year-long empire, and then it's going to go bad when he realizes somebody else is the Dominion. And what that did to me was it made me think, oh, we had our Sinister story. We had it already, right? The actual end game is not a Sinister story. So the twist, the way he threw us off the scent is then like, oh, actually, it is. (laughs) Everything is still Sinister. You never should have let this MFer in the game. You never should have given him a chair. Okay, Um, and it's fun. I like this character. He's chaotic. He's a mess. He's a great supervillain. I think the only problem I have with it is it is a little bit incongruous with the vibe of House and Powers. And what I mean by that is 
like the hit, like the big Hickman beats, House Powers, Inferno. They're very, very dedicated to making Nimrod and machines the ultimate enemy, not Sinister. Sinister clearly has a part to play, a significant part to play in all of this. But the most significant part, that feels, I would say, tonally at odds with the threat of House and Powers which was not that sinister specific. So that, and, and listen too, like this is the first issue <laughs> of, of what promises to be a very good event conclusion by Gillen. We could be being thrown off the scent again. Okay. Just because it seems that, okay, King Sinister has reached dominion status and this is the ultimate enemy that the X-Men need to defeat. It doesn't mean it's actually going to play out that way. Here's the thing about Kieran Gillen, as I said up front, absolutely at the peak of their powers. I mean, holy crap, the last seven years of comics from Gillen. Just best in the game type stuff. Okay, so like, let's not assume there aren't any tricks up the sleeve. This could go in a number of directions. Do I feel sinistered out? No. If it ends... And we have an appropriately calibrated Omega Sentinel and Nimrod and Moira as significant players, then yeah, I would feel like, okay, we overcompensated with Sinister. But right now, I don't think it's a problem. All right, here's the big theory we got to talk about. Here's the big theory we got to talk about. This is not my theory. I saw this floating around on Twitter. I will not claim this for myself. This is not Dave Stinney. And frankly, it knocked my damn hat off. Knocked my bull's hat straight off my head. When I saw this one in house of X number two, one of Moira's first lives first or second. I don't remember which maybe it's the first she gets sick right before she turns 13 or around the age of 13. A doctor comes to the house. She suddenly feels better at 13. Her mutant ability manifests. No problems. Sickness averted the theory that the good X-Men fans seem to be thrown around here. That doctor? King Sinister. The Dominion. Put him there. Sinister made Moira a mutant. I'm going to give you all a minute. Because that actually knocked my head off. If Hickman set up in House of X number two that the flippin' doctor, <laughs> the, no, the nobody player, in Moira's origin story, gave her her mutant abilities as part of his Dominion schemes. That is so damn brilliant. That is so effing cool. Okay? Now you might say, oh, that's too much sinister, right? You can react to it that way. I do not care. The planning? The planning on that? To make the doctor having given Moira her mutant abilities? Hot damn, that's good. Hot damn, that's smart. Oh, man. I don't know if that's really what's happening here. But that is like the coolest effing idea. And when you go and look at that page, it is. It's just like this nobody doctor with his back turned to us. That could be anybody. That could be anybody. That could be King Sinister Dominion. I'm here for it. How could you not be here for that? 
Come on. Connecting those dots, that's crazy. That's so smart. Everybody at the front of this, oh, Hickman's a planner. Hickman's a planner, sets things up years in advance, knows how it's going to end, and yet we still miss that. <laughs> That's one of the things that I love the most about the Krakoa era when it was hot, is just like they would just put stuff in front of our face, right? Like they would just show us the answer, but in a way that we couldn't see it. There was a lot of that done really successfully, where they were just like, oh, yeah, like <laughs> we're just going to telegraph you know, this, this answer, even like mother righteous, right? Look at it now. It's like mother righteous, Mr. Sinister, you know, everything she was saying and doing. It's like, it was like, you had to imagine the ex office was just sitting there being like, like, oh, is this too obvious? This is way too obvious, right? We can't do this. And yet I read those comics and was like, oh, I don't know. Who could this be? <laughs> like now I feel like an idiot. But in the moment, I didn't, you know? So, I, yeah, I'm here for that twist. I hope it's true. Who knows? Who knows? Seems like from the comments that people are pretty excited as well. <laughs> Let's see. What are, what are people saying about that theory? <laughs> Unrelated. Christoph says, let's not forget that the three aliens that manipulated Vulcan all served the Dominion. I, I think we can forget that. <laughs> I think we can forget that. I don't think that's coming up again. Unless that's part of the mysterious Orbis Stellaris Dominion track. Because as far as I know, we've seen... So we have four Sinisters who tried to become Dominions. We saw Red Diamond Sinister try to do so. That was Sins of Sinister. We saw Mother Righteous try to do so. That was the pages of Immortal X-Men. We saw Dr. Stasis try to become a Dominion. That was Rise of Powers of X number one which even that was a nice little twist, right? That the beginning of this comic to me felt like, yeah, this is like, this is where things can go. This feature we've been following only to reveal, it's like, no, this is the stasis attempt and it's been canceled and it's not actually going to happen. The one I don't think we've seen, I don't think we've seen how Orbis Stellaris, the, the cosmic Mr. Sinister, what is he, the Sinister of Spades? probably. I don't think we've seen how he tried to become Sinister. So maybe you could do like a fast track connect the dots three aliens thing there. Open Mike Eagle asks, if the doctor did that, meaning gave Moira her mutant ability, what would there be a reason to choose Moira specifically? Why Moira? Okay, my first thought is, obviously I don't know the answer, but my first thought is it was always Moira, right? We are in timey-wimey, complex space <laughs> where it's like, well, when the Dominion became a Dominion, it had been Moira. So he had to go back and make it so that it was still Moira would be like my main thinking on how you would rationalize that. Just like putting the pieces into place for the time travel of it all. Um... The other piece of it, I think if you wanted to rationalize well, why choose Moira would be like, well, she had the connections to Professor X, right? She had the romantic entanglement with Professor X, where if she was the one with this ability, she would be replaying a lifeline with like the central figure of mutant dumb to make Krakoa happen in the first place. 
I think is how I would rationalize it. But we'll see what Kieran does. I bet he has better answers than I do. <laughs> Neurotic Mancer says something here that I, I will argue should not have been typed <laughs> in public. I've been waiting for someone to kill Moira as a child since House of X number two. <laughs> Weird thing to type publicly. Uh, so, okay. So that is the big, perf so it's revealed in Rise of the Powers of Ten here that in the present day, Professor X, remember in Fall of House of X, Professor says, hey, Rasputin, we got work to do. Well, that work is apparently to go to Moira's No Place to hook up with Dougie Ballgame, a.k.a. Kirkoa's favorite little guy, and two other mysterious players. I'm guessing Legion and Manifold, two players we haven't seen. Okay. Um, unless one of them is just Krakoa. But we've got a team of five mutants who are like navigating this whole Dominion affair and trying to figure out can we prevent King Sinister from becoming Sinister? And remember, Charlie knows all about this because he's got a little Sinister in his head. Okay. We could also have as one of the uh, one of the team here, we could have just Sinister from the pit. <clears throat> the Red Diamond Sinister would actually make a lot of sense here too. Uh, but so we have them trying to figure out, can we prevent this? And then we have them trying to figure out, okay, if we can't stop King Sinister from becoming Enigma Dominion, how do we stop all this nonsense from happening? And of course, as I predicted in Fall of the House of X, the answer is we have to stop Moira. Now, when I pitched the theory, it was give Moira her mutant gift back and reset an 11th timeline. Charlie Ballgame, being the inevitably corrupt worst planner of all time, says... No, we have to kill her as a child, <laughs> which is like the most Charles Xavier plan you could possibly come up with. It's perfect. Now, a lot of fans freaked out. I think a lot of fans freaked out at this revelation in Rise uh, number one because the implication – there's an actual sentence here said by Charles, which is the Krakoa era will never have happened. And I'm mildly paraphrasing, but that's about it. And this freaks people out because they think this is where X-Men comics are going to a situation where the Krakoa era never happened. We just ignore all those comics. We ignore all the character development and Tom Brevoort and company reset our happy little mutants in the mansion. I don't think that's what's happening. I really don't. Um, I think one thing we have to keep in mind here is Charles has not executed a plan this entire era. Everything he's tried to do has gone wrong. Kieran Gillen understands that better than probably anybody <laughs> because he's written a bunch of them in Immortal X-Men. I don't think he's suddenly going to have Charles, the master planner, in play, okay? Uh, the other piece of that is, like, how? <laughs> how, are, how are they going to execute this plan and do it successfully, you know? It raises a lot of interesting questions. I've been rereading Immortal X-Men in an effort to put together a, a road to the Rise of the Powers of Ten video. And uh, one thing that I, I am still stumped by, and I'm curious what people think, is the first issue, we have Destiny visiting Mr. Sinister, sitting on a park bench, 
sitting on a park bench, said Jethro Tull. I don't know any other words. That's why I repeated it twice. <laughs> 1919, John Cale song. And uh, Paris, 1919 even. Destiny, you know, uh, convinces Mr. She whispers in Mr. Sinister's ear. And then Mr. Sinister crashes to the ground. And he says, I'm a ghost. Or you're a ghost. You're a ghost. And he vomits up a bunch of black stuff. And maybe dies. I'm not sure. What did Destiny tell Sinister? Okay, what we know now, what we know now is that that sinister that she spoke to was, in fact, a clone of King Dominion Sinister who was using them to understand how to become a Dominion. We know that now. So the line, you're a ghost, right? Like you're a ghost, you're a hollowed out sort of clone shell of the King Dominion Sinister, that makes sense. Why would it have caused that Sinister to puke die? <laughs> I'm unclear. Okay. Maybe that's a fail safe put in by the King Dominion Sinister. Like, oh, if they ever find out the real plan, they puke die. Okay, possibility. The wrinkle in all of this is in, I think, Immortal X-Men number three, which might be like the best issue of this entire era. It's the Destiny showcase. Destiny has a similar moment where she has her visions and she's seeing future timelines and she repeats, you're a ghost, you're a ghost. Why is she saying that? Okay. I don't understand this yet. I would love to. You know, I, I I don't totally get this yet. Is it just the revelation of King Sinister becoming a Dominion? And why did it impact them in this specific way? You know? And then in Destiny's thing is like, we have to work together. We have to be on the same side, which again makes sense when you know, well, there's a King Dominion Sinister and that the clone sinister, yes, he's a clone of sinister, but like he wants that power for himself. So in order to prevent King Dominion sinister, he has to be on the side of destiny. I feel like those are some pretty interesting questions still. I'm very curious to see how that's going to play out. Timothy asks, how do you think the mutants in the white hot room at the moment will fit into this story? So here's the other thing. Great question, Timothy, and thank you for the support and the super chat. Really appreciate it. This is the other thing. We know the Phoenix is coming, right? Like we're in the white hot room. We got hope. We got gene resurrections teased out the wazoo. The Phoenix is coming into play somehow. Now, one thing that was very interesting and, and developed here in Rise of Powers is the timeline where Omega Sentinel is from, where the mutants won. They won because the mutants, like, seemingly all got Phoenix powers. Like, mutant kind phoenixed up. Okay? That's gonna happen. <laughs> That's definitely gonna happen. I think the question here is, is that the fall of the House of X story? Is everybody gonna phoenix up in the moment? Is that a future story in Rise of the Powers of Ten? You know, 
And I think what's interesting too is like Rise of the Powers of Ten. Okay, I thought this was going to be, oh, it's all future stuff. It's all Gillen's days of future past. But we're probably actually going to go to the past for this Moira stuff. So what time period does this actually take place in? All of which is to say, this is exciting. This is great. There's still a lot of interesting questions. It's on track to be a, a successful conclusion, I think, to this Krakoa era. The other thing I do want to say, I guess two things here. Okay, number one, as a father, as a father of men who one day have daughters. No, as a, <laughs> as a father of three sons, I, si- I have one hope. My aims are simple. Tried and true lessons passed down for generations about what I want to instill in my children. I simply hope I can help shape my sons into men who will vastly prefer Rise of the Powers of Ten to Fall of the House of X. I have seen some chatter of folks who prefer Fall of the House of X. And to thee, I say, how? <laughs> how and or why? <laughs> there, is, there is no compelling reason one should prefer that first issue to Rise of the Powers of Ten. This is great. This is awesome. Come on. What are we looking for? What are we looking for here? It's taking on everything, trying to resolve this Krakoa era and doing so successfully. My final piece from the reread of Immortal X-Men. Okay. Um, The only timeline that I don't think we've yet explored in Destiny's Visions. You remember that image of Destiny's Visions and the timelines? We've actually seen a lot of them take place and be canceled out. We see another one of them canceled out here. There's one that we haven't seen and that I think is where we're going. And it's the one called A New Krakoa. I think that is the most likely destination for this entire saga is a new Krakoa. I think that is the way that this era resolves with without eradicating everything that came before without the Brevort era X-Men being a total reboot of what happened. And I think it's just going to mean there is a new Krakoa established somewhere. (laughs) Could it be as simple as Mars? Maybe. Maybe. But I feel very confident. This is a Dave Stinney lock that this is going to end with a new Krakoa. What exactly does that mean? Time will tell. But that's where we're going. Let's see, I didn't really answer the question about uh, the White Hot Room thing with the mutants, but I, I think they're all going to come back as phoenixes, I guess, if that wasn't clear, right? To, to round that out, everyone in that White Hot Room, all of those mutants are going to come phoenixing out from the sky as a saving army for mutant kind. That's my prediction. And, like, are they going to save Cyclops from his trial? Could be. But I think even cooler would be they're going to destroy the Dominion. Dominions fear two things. Galactus and Phoenixes. Dominions are outside of space and time. So is the White Hot Room. They are primed and in prime position to actually take down the Dominion. So that's where I see that going. Is it a Dave Sinney lock? Yes. Oh, Lothargos, my enemy, comes for me again. Says, recycling Twitter bits? You're better than this, Dave. All right, two thoughts here. 
listen, you've gone from enemy to nemesis. Okay. Number one, I'm not better than this. <laughs> Clearly. Number two, my quote unquote Twitter bits are just my notes <laughs> for the live stream. <laughs> so as I'm reading the comics, I jot down little thoughts or jokes. That's what gets tweeted. I don't put any more thought into it than that. I promise you. All right. Getting your final thoughts. I, I got to say, somebody's going to need to type up everything I said on this because I threw out a lot of ideas and all of them I feel very confident about. <laughs> and I had not thought of them necessarily before. All right. Getting your thoughts. Getting your questions. Let's wrap this puppy up. Jean Gray says, your sons are going to grow up and prefer a two-page explanation of a fastball special. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you come for my children like that? Oh, boy. That's good. Bird Nerd says, a lot of YouTubers hate Hoxpox. Maybe they like this better because there is a specific villain. I mean, the thing about a lot of YouTubers is they hate a lot of things and people for no good reason. <laughs> So that is not the baseline that I'm aspiring to. What else do we got here? Voss says, new Krakoa on a Rocco, maybe. I mean, it's the leading. If you're if you're putting odds on where is new Krakoa, I mean, Rocco's got to be the heavy favorite, right? Like, I don't know how it can not be. Nobody except me says, who hates Hoxpox? It is funny seeing now, at the end of things, and the folks who will like, they will come in on comment on like an old Kraken Krakow video and be like, this era sucks. Or like, for example, I had my essential Krakow comics recently. So like, you'll get the commenter who comes in and is like, that's an oxymoron, essential Krakow comics. And it's like, there's like a, clearly like a certain freedom that has come upon these jaded, sad little... <laughs> That little people, um, in in terms of this like ending now, like that signifies some sort of failure, as if it didn't run for five plus years, and was like the most interesting thing in Marvel that entire time, you know. Uh, but there's definitely a sense I have seen just from my little channels of folks feeling some freedom to be like, finally, I can, I can speak my truth, that I haven't enjoyed the best X Men comics in decades. I can finally be honest. <laughs> like congratulations very happy for you all right got a few questions here i don't know how many of these we're gonna answer oh i do not have time to talk about Sabretooth, y'all i do not have time to talk about Sabretooth, y'all except for listen laval joining ben percy on a no holds barred don't hold back Sabretooth versus wolverine showcase Kicks off about as good as you'd want it to be. Wolverine's going to be good to the end here. If you're not reading it, check it out. It's going to finish strong. Let's see. Any final questions? Timothy says, I think Franklin Richards is going to turn out to be a mutant after all. I would be shocked if Franklin played a role in the end of this. I'd be really surprised by that. That'd be cool, but I'd be surprised. Let's see. Travis asks, Dave, who do you think the other two people are with Charles, Doug, and Rasputin 4? I did say this. I think it is uh, my my candidates are OG, Sinister, Krakoa, Legion, Manifold. Those are my, my prime candidates. Bird Nerd says, these YouTubers didn't hate Hoxbox when it was occurring. 
Yeah, I don't I, I do think it would be a lot harder to find evidence of folks in the moment who were like not feeling this house powers thing. I think a lot of the hate came after the fact once they invited women and queer people and people of color into the office to contribute stories. That was when you started seeing the most hate. So like immediately after House of Powers. But I, I, I'd be surprised in the moment. And also like if someone, <laughs> if someone of any renown was in the corner of House and Powers is bad actually, in the moment, that is not a voice you should be considering. <laughs> like, listen, we can be critical of everything. And I think folks are too sensitive to criticism as, as sort of personal attacks a lot of times. Um, <laughs> but that's a wild flip and take. All right. I think we did it. I think we did it. Good job, everybody. A lot to talk about today. This is an awesome week, Comics. I hope we have more weeks like this. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Let's see. What do we got next week? I think, you know, we're, we're going to cool down here. Right, because the the way this is going to go is it's going to be a fall week, it's going to be a rise week, and then we're going to have a little space, a little breathing room. Next week we have X Men number thirty, which is going to tie in. We have Invincible Iron Man, which is going to tie in. We got the old Double Duggan. We got Zdarsky's Avengers Twilight number one, which is not like on my must-read pile, but if enough people are talking about it, maybe I'll check it out right away. We got Cable number one. I <laughs> I'm curious to read Cable number one, which feels like it, like just off the bat, my guess would be completely inessential in the narrative of Fall of the House of X. Nonetheless, it is being published. It's by Fabian Nicieza, who I like a lot, friend of Comic Book Herald. Will that comic matter? be shocked if it does but i hope it does it'd be nice anyway we'll be back next week let's see cousin marcus says you seem not very interested in resurrection magneto no i just keep forgetting about it is the problem l ewing's my guy that's going to be the following week so we got well when is it actually so next week i just mentioned then the following week we got immortal thor excited about that obviously we got the beast arc and x-force we got gods number four and Resurrection Magneto. Yeah, so like next week's kind of quiet, but then the following week, two weeks from now, it's going to be hot again. So next week, bring your questions. We're going to need things to talk about, right? We're going to we're gonna need like some topics. I'm not thinking of them. I ain't got that kind of time. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Appreciate you being here. Should we close with some more Bowie? I don't know. I don't, maybe I was talking too much. I didn't see a lot of feedback. I don't know if, if I don't, if I don't have the praise... I require a lot of affirmation. Um, just ask my wife. <laughs> if I get enough affirmation on my Bowie, I'll do it again next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And as always, enjoy the comics. <laughs>